Good morning, would you stand? As we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord this morning, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are Christ the King. And we have come here this morning, God, to praise you, to acknowledge that you are our King, to celebrate the fact that you came once as a baby and you are coming again. I pray that you would just fill our hearts with that joyful, hopeful anticipation of when you return. The Advent season, God, that you would fill our hearts with that hope. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.
today, Jesus, to praise you, to glorify you and to lift your name on high. Thank you that forever and ever, this is what we will do. This is how we will spend eternity, praising your holy name. We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, it is good to be here together this morning, uh, just lifting up uh, the praise of our Savior. Uh, my name is Adam Harbaugh. I'm the outreach pastor here at Hopevale. And uh, the last couple of weeks, we have just spent some time talking about our Christmas outreach offering that happens as a part of our Christmas services here at Hopevale. And so real quick, if uh, you haven't seen one of these, I would encourage you to pick one up at any of the ministry desks in the lobby. Uh, it's a little invite card and also just has our, our Christmas service times on this. And if you can believe it, our services are this coming Friday and Saturday, the 23rd and 24th. On Friday the 23rd, we will be here at 5 and 7 o'clock. And on Saturday, we will be right back here at 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and 5 o'clock. So uh, lots of different options for you to consider to, to fit into uh, the busy schedule of time with family and friends and all of that. But as I said, a real special part of our Christmas services over the years have been this Christmas outreach offering. And the heart behind that offering that we started uh, many years ago was just, as a church, an encouragement for us to consider ways that we can spend a little less money on Christmas and kind of the commercialization of what America makes Christmas all about and, and kind of pool our money together and give to this special offering at Hopevale where 100% of the funds go to bless people outside the walls of this church. And over the years, it's just been an incredible response to this uh, almost... Uh, well, right around $665,000 have been given to this over the years, and that is incredible in and of itself. But then even beyond that is just the way that it gets invested locally and globally, and it really happens through men and women here at Hopevale who just have their eyes open to the needs around them, and then they have the opportunity to engage that with groups of people at Hopevale to, to go and just represent Christ in a very practical way to the needs that they see around them. And so this morning we have two videos back to back that we wanna show you to just capture a little bit of what this fund accomplishes throughout the year. And before we watch this, I just wanna say one more thing about the videos and that's, that's this, that we don't put these together in order to pat ourselves on the back or make us feel good about ourselves or anything like that. It really is, we just want to be able to communicate a small glimpse into the way that this fund gets invested over the years. And so these are just two of about 100 stories that have been written this year, uh, just a way for us to celebrate what God is doing in us and through us and just who we are continuing to become as a church. And that's just outwardly focused on God's work in the world around us. So let's take a look. This is the baby pantry and it is connected to Old Town Outreach Church. It's a ministry here in Saginaw. Um, we minister to young mothers. They come here by appointment and we provide them with clothes and um, books and anything that they need. We had a mother that came in and that was working and due to her pregnancy um, she was no longer able to work um, so she was put off work and she was fighting unemployment and uh, she had nothing for the baby really um, and 
I think she was going to have a baby about due in a month, and we were able to provide her with clothes and diapers and wipes and everything that she needed. And we prayed with her, we ministered with her, you know, that God would provide her with all her needs just to turn to Him. And um, we were able to point her in the right direction to different organizations too for help. And she was really thankful for that. I'm involved in JUMP here at Hopeville. It's a community group for moms. And we are throwing a baby shower for the baby pantry. And what that means is any items that we have with our own children, gently used for new items we're donating, providing the baby pantry with items that we may no longer use or that we have sitting around and that we can help um, another mom provide for their children. So it's a really awesome opportunity and I think with being a mom and the moms in the group, it's extra special, kind of, you know, touches your heart to be able to help them. I met these girls and I just fell in love with them. They're like sassy and funny and um, they have some physical impairments and mental impairments, but I saw that they belonged at camp and I was like, these girls have to go. So the camp is a therapy camp, so they're going for physical therapy, they're going for occupational therapy, and they're going for speech therapy. And that's important. That's something that gives them functional gains to their daily lives. But more importantly, they, when they're at camp, they're just like everybody else. They're not different. But the more I learned about their financial situation and everything, I, I just knew that it was nothing that grandparents could ever provide for them. Just being able to like say, we love you, Christ loves you, and we want to do this for you. At Baycliff, the days are beautiful. I like Baycliff most of all. Thank you for a summer filled with lots of laughter and learning. Our days were spent singing songs and going to therapy. Our evenings were spent with friends, football stars, Harley rides, and plenty of campouts. We learned new skills in therapy, and did things we have never done before. But most of all, we had so much fun together. Love, Kaylee, Kira, and LaDavia. Just some incredible ways that, that God has used people at Hopevale to just, again, have their eyes open for needs around them and then to engage them uh, through the blessing that the Christmas Outreach Offering Fund has been. And so as our Christmas services approach, we would just encourage all of us to spend some time just prayerfully considering how God might be leading you to give to this offering. And so if you do choose to participate, there's a couple of different ways that you can do that. We have uh, these envelopes in the lobby that you can pick up today. Or if you're going to be at any of our services, you can just give to the offering during that service. Uh, there's an online option as well. And so we're, we're just incredibly grateful for the way that this fund has allowed ministry to happen uh, through the body here at Hopevale in some really, really neat ways. So thank you for your participation over the years, and we just look forward to how God is going to continue uh, to use this and to write these stories uh, at Hopevale. So as we continue in our service this morning, I want to invite the ushers to come forward as we prepare to just give of our regular tithes and offerings. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just come before you today, and it's, uh, it's an awesome opportunity that we have to, to be together, to gather in your name, and to just praise and worship you, and to lift up our voices together 
to that end. And Lord, I just pray that these stories would just touch our hearts in a way that uh, we would just be encouraged to continue to keep our eyes open for the ways that you are at work around us. God, in the way that you give us the opportunity to step into your work uh, and to engage in your mission here on this earth. And God, in the, in the same way, we even see just giving of our tithes and offerings as one more way that we are obedient to your call in our lives. And so, God, we just come to this moment uh, with that sense, God, that all of this is yours, and we just give back a portion to you so that you would take and use these gifts to further your kingdom here on this earth. Uh, God, it is all about you, and our hearts and our prayer are just that everything that we do uh, this morning would be uh, for your glory and for your purposes. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
What a great song to, uh, to transition us into a time together where we can spend time learning from God's Word. I'm Sam. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, we're going to conclude our Hope is Here series um, today. We've been on quite a journey, haven't we, over the past few weeks? Uh, when we started this journey uh, back right at the, the weekend that uh, Thanksgiving was over with, I mean, it seems like forever ago, but it was only a couple weeks ago, um, we started talking about this whole idea of hope and that it was beyond the present, that that there's a waiting aspect uh, to this thing called hope. And then the next week we talked about the fact that it's full of surprises, that God wants to, to adjust our perspective. He wants to shift our perspective from what we plan and how we think things should go to his promises and how he wants things to go. And last week, Pastor Dan talked about the fact that, that hope is, is worth the risk. And he talked about Joseph. And uh, he, he said this, he said that what God has for us is more important than what other people say about us. And uh, I think that's so true, and that it's, that it's worth going after what God has for us, even though other people might say, wow, I can't believe you're doing that. Well, today we're going to end off the uh, Hope is Here series. And I just want to ask a question as we get rolling here uh, this morning. Have you ever had a Christmas gift that you expected to be something, but then you found out after you opened it that it was completely not what you thought? Um, whether that was good or bad. Anybody here have anything like that? Here's what I want you to do. I know you're trying to think through that. Maybe I'd turn to somebody next to you, whether you came with them here today or not, and just take a few moments, share what that was, okay? I want us to kind of, you know, break the ice here, have a community-like kind of aspect here. Go ahead, do that. Share that. Share what it was. All right. Let's bring it back in together. Well, back in 2012... And uh, this is great. Back in 2012, Jimmy Kimmel, he's a late night TV host, he asked some parents to give their kids a, an early Christmas present and to catch their reaction to opening that present on video and to send it to their show and they were going to show it. Um, but the catch, the catch was this, the catch was that the present had to be something terrible that the kids would absolutely hate getting. And to catch that response and that reaction on video. Um, and so I want you, I have the video here, we're going to watch it and just check out how these kids responded to their gifts not being what they expected. Let's roll that video. Last week, uh, I issued a challenge. I asked the Parents of America to put a, pull a little holiday trick on their children. We did this on Halloween with candy and got a lot of response to it. So we did it again, this time for Christmas. I asked parents to tell their kids they were gonna let them open one present a few weeks early. But instead of a good present, I said, put something the kids won't like in the box and then upload a video of that to YouTube labeled, Hey Jimmy Kimmel, I gave my kids a terrible present. And a lot of people did do this and um, they did give their kids terrible presents. And a lot of the kids, surprisingly, reacted poorly to that. <laughs> I don't like it. What is it? An old banana. An old banana? Isn't that exciting? What are you doing?
you tell me all the time about my cooking? You love my cooking, so I made you something. guys were sharing, how many of you were like these kids? And I don't mean how you responded to the gift, okay? Uh, you know, but you got some, you expected one thing with the gift, and you got something a lot worse. How many, anybody just raise your hand like, I got something worse, and you're like, no, I can't raise my hand, they're next to me. Um, how many of you, maybe it's the opposite, you got something, you thought it was going to be one thing, but you got something way better. You got something like, oh, this was so awesome. A few of you, um, and some of you just don't want to raise your hands. That's okay. Um, I asked my kids the other week, we were sitting around the table, and I asked them this question. I said, what was a present that you got that you thought was one thing, but man, you, you expected it was one thing, but you got something amazing? And I knew the danger of stepping into this question, because if they looked at me like nothing, I'm like, oh great, my reputation as a parent is on the line here. But I asked them that, and my boys, they immediately 
thought of a gift that we, uh, we got them. It was the year that we uh, bought them their very first Nintendo Wii. Um, it was a few years ago. Um, it was like three or four years ago. They would wanted a Wii for forever because they wanted this game called Skylanders Swap Force. And they had talked about it like ad nauseum. And, uh, but they didn't ask for a Wii or the game for Christmas. I think it was because they thought it was too expensive. And they're like, there's no way mom and dad are ever going to buy us that. Um, but we knew that they really wanted one. So my wife, Sarah, and I, we talked about it. We're like, maybe we should get them one. And we, we got a used one, which was a lot cheaper. Um, the one problem, though, is it doesn't come in the Wii box when you buy the used one. And so we packaged it in just a regular cardboard box, and I filled it with T-shirts um, to try to, like, you know, keep it safe. And uh, they opened it. It was kind of funny when they opened it because the box and the T-shirts, they kind of had this, like, weird expression on their face. And then we, had, we got them the Skylander Swap Force video game, and they went nuts. I actually have a video of it, too, um, I wanted to show you, just so you can kind of get the reaction, because those other reactions were bad. Let's have a good reaction. Here we go. I absolutely love the fact he gets it. He puts it down and does a victory lap around our, our kitchen. Then his little brother, Jonathan, he doesn't know what to do. So he's like, I guess I'm supposed to do a victory lap too. So he goes, I absolutely, I, I love that response. I, I wa- I've watched that every Christmas going, oh, that was a good one. I hope that happens this year. Um, I just love the They weren't expecting it all. They weren't like thinking it was going to happen. And that Christmas became the one that was like better than they ever imagined. So when I asked them that question, that was the one that, that they thought of. Um, I, I thought, you know, you guys got a chance to share with each other, and I didn't because I have nobody up here. Um, so I actually had one of those gifts too. Um, if you know me at all, then you know that I absolutely love Christmas. I absolutely love the Christmas season, especially Christmas movies. I think I shared that with you last year if you were uh, here last year when I taught. Um, but my favorite Christmas movie is that classic that's on 24 hours a day on Christmas Day. Um, it's on TNT. It's that, you know, amazing story of a kid who wants a BB gun for Christmas. 
Uh, it's a Christmas story. I absolutely love that movie. I don't know if it was because it just depicts my childhood so well. I just don't know. But, and I know with this movie, you either love it or you hate it, okay? So I absolutely love this movie. My wife hates it. She hates that movie, but she knows how much I love the movie. So back in 2012, um, I got this as a Christmas present. Now, I, I don't know if you can see it too well. Um, I'm opening all my gifts, and I get this, and I think, this is such a strange gift to get for Christmas. It's a little notepad with the Christmas story stuff on it. It has like a bunch of lines from it, pictures. And I'm like, thanks, honey. <laughs> I like to write down notes, I guess. <laughs> She goes, no, open it. And so I open it, and on the very front page, and it's still there to this day because I just save it as a memento, it says, when we are in Ohio, because that's where Sarah's parents live, um, and they live near Cleveland, we have two tickets to the Christmas Story house. And as soon as I, and there's a little smiley face next to it, as soon as I saw that, I was like, best gift ever in the history of any kind of gift. And so that Christmas, we went, and Karis was a little baby, and so we took her um, with us because I had to share this experience with my little daughter. And so I had her wrapped up in my coat. And so I have some pictures from that. No video, because um, we've done no videos today. So here's some pictures from that. Um, this first picture, where is it at? There it is. Um, is actually from, the, there's a museum across the street. So there's the Red Rider BB gun, all that stuff. There's pictures from it. Um, next picture, this was us standing across the street from the house. We got a picture of that. And then, last but not least, here is me and my daughter next to the leg lamp. I'm not sure you can show a leg lamp in church. Um, breaking new ground here this morning, but anyway, um, yeah, so that was like the best Christmas gift ever. I never saw that gift coming. My expectations were, you know, dramatically exceeded that, that Christmas. It was better than I ever could have imagined, especially when you get something like this and you think, this is it? <laughs> uh, but it was so cool. I think that we all have expectations when it comes to Christmas, from gifts that we want to receive, to emotions that we expect to feel, to music that we want to hear, to even love maybe that we want to experience, or relationships that we think should start. Christmas is full of expectation, at least that's what the uh, Hallmark Movie Channel says anyway. Uh, but here's the thing that we learned in week one of this series that seems to be true over and over and over again. It said, Hope is built on expectation, and it's built on anticipation. Hope is built on expectations, and it's built on anticipation. But the reality is this. The reality is this, that our expectations will either limit our hope or they will liberate our hope. Our expectations will either limit our hope or they will liberate our hope. Our hope will either be let down by our expectations not being met, or it will be blown away because reality is way better than we expected it to be. See, the people back in the first century in Israel, they had some great expectations too, especially when it came to the promised Messiah. See, Israel back then was under the oppression of the Roman government. And they'd been under the oppression of several world powers for years and years and years. First it was the Babylonians, then it was the Persians, and then they were able to go back to their, their home and reoccupy it and rebuild their land. But shortly after that, the Greeks took over under the reign of Alexander the Great, and 
And he just took over the entire world, and they're under oppression again. And, and then Alexander, as he's laying on his deathbed, he hands over his kingdom to four of his rulers who end up splitting up the kingdom. And then one of those rulers takes over, and that becomes the Roman Empire. Rome took over everything. And they were brutal. They ruled with an iron fist. And they, they actually allowed the Israelites to stay in their land. They didn't exile them like some of the other governments did. But they oppressed everything. Everywhere you went, it was clear that Romans were in charge. And they were occupying everything. Sure, they set up these guys called Herods that were like the kings over the little land there in Israel. But, but really, Rome was the rule of the day. They were in charge. And they were oppressing the people of Israel. And so these Israelites, they had some great expectations about the coming Messiah. One major prophecy that they would cling to, because during the time of the oppression, these prophets would come up and they would say, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, and and here's what to expect, here's what to think. One of the major ones is one that we read all the time here during the Christmas season. It's Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to, I want to read this together because I want you just to see what was said about the Messiah, what the expectations were of these people, of who the Messiah was going to be. Look at this, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Can you, you see what there he's saying? He's saying, listen, the oppression that you are feeling of being exiled, of, of somebody else ruling over you, it's going to go away. It's going to be gone. There's going to be celebration in the streets. Things are going to be drastically better and drastically different. Why? Look at verse 6. The reason is because for to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. There were some great expectations that they were looking forward to when the Messiah came. They were saying, man, when the Messiah comes, look what's going to happen. Here, look at that laundry list of the people's expectations. Bottom line, they expected the Messiah to be a political, governmental powerhouse who was going to come in and annihilate the Roman government and free them from the Roman oppression and restore Israel to its former glory as a world power. That was the expectation of the Messiah. That's what they were hoping for. And they were like, man, when he comes, it's a game changer for us. No longer are we going to feel this oppression. He's going to change it all. And so Jesus shows up on the scene, and people started following him. And they started calling him the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And that was Isaiah 9, and that was exactly their expectation of him. 
that he was going to come in and he was going to change things. He was going to overthrow the Roman government. His kingdom was going to begin. He was often asked questions by his followers like this. Jesus, when you, when you bring your kingdom, what's it going to be like? What's it going to be? Can we sit like on your right hand and left hand? Jesus, when are we going to start this thing? When are we going to you know, take over? Those were kind of the questions that they would start asking because it showed their expectation of who they thought he was supposed to be. And then Jesus would start talking about his kingdom and what it would look like and how the first will be last and the last shall be first. And they started scratching their heads and the greatest will be the servant. And they're going, wait, hold on. Aren't you going to like flip this whole thing around? And they started, they bought into what Jesus said, but they were in the back of their heads. They were thinking, but he's... He's the Messiah. He's the one who's going to free us from the Romans and bring about our former glory as the world power. He's the Messiah. This is what we expect. And then their leader is crucified by the Roman government and the Jewish religious leaders. And the peoples, especially Jesus' followers, their expectations of him being the Messiah were dashed to pieces. Because he was supposed to overthrow the Romans, not be crucified by them. He was supposed to bring change. And three days pass by, and his disciples just scatter. They run, and their hope is gone and is dashed. They all abandon him. And then it was said that Jesus had raised from the dead. Some of his disciples bought into it. Others of, uh, others of them were questioning it thinking, I'm, I'm not sure. And there's this story that's in Luke chapter 24 of two of his followers. On the third day, the day that Jesus was said to have been raised from the dead, they're walking down a road toward a place called Emmaus, talking to each other and trying to figure out life and trying to figure out hope because it had just been dashed. Let's, I want to read their story and then I want to highlight part of it for us. It says this now in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talk and discuss these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces were downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? They're like, come on, man, where have you been? You've been hiding under a rock? What things, he asked. He really wanted to know their perspective on this whole thing. He said, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, he was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. You could just hear the letdown in their, their minds and in their, their voices as they're telling him, they're recounting this story, going, this, is, this was everything to us, and now it's nothing. And look what he says here, verse 21, and I want to put this up on the screen. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Look at that. We had hoped. We had hoped. This is their expectation. We had hoped that he was going to be the one who's going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day 
since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but, but they did not see Jesus. And Jesus is listening to them and listening to their, their lack of hope now. And look what he says to them. He said to them, how foolish you are. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then later on, as you read the rest of the story, all of a sudden it becomes apparent to them. They're sitting at a, a dinner together and it becomes apparent to them, this is Jesus talking to them. And they're like, and as soon as they discover it, he's gone. And they're like, it was, it was him. What an amazing thing. But their expectations, I, I, I think that it's so telling in verse 21, they say, we had hoped that he was going to do this, that he was going to be this big political leader that was going to have this gigantic revolution that would happen. And that's what we were placing our hope in. And Jesus is saying, don't you really know what's happening here? You only read a part of it. You didn't see the whole picture of who the Messiah really is. Your expectations are limiting your hope. They're limiting your hope. Little did they know that what was happening was better than their expectations. It was better than they imagined. His disciples would, would slowly start to get it. But in the back of their mind, that expectation was still there. Because if you turn over to Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus goes back to heaven, he's giving some marching orders to his followers. In Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6, look what his followers say to him. He gets, he's getting ready to leave, and they say to him, they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're saying, Jesus, remember that like, revolution thing that we were all about, like kingdom and all that. Is, is now the time you're going to do that? <laughs> Are we going to do the political thing here now? You, yeah, the resurrection was awesome. Loved it. Great. But are we going to do that thing that, you know, that's promised in Isaiah? Are we going to, the government thing, overthrow the Romans? Is that happening now? They are still hung up on this, that this is happening now because that's their expectation. And Jesus, look what he says to them. He said to them, verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. He says, hold on, guys, guys, hold on. I know you're, you're caught up on this thing, but there's something bigger. There's something better at hand here. And we're going to keep charging forward with, with my plan here, not with your expectation. And in verse 8, he tells them this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What he's telling them, he's saying, listen, at some point in time, you know, down the road, the political thing is going to happen. But there's something more important right now. See, his followers, they were looking for a political revolution, but Jesus is looking at them and offering them a personal rescue, an eternal rescue. He's saying that the political thing, it, it'll happen, but that's not the most important thing right now. 
Overthrowing the Roman government right now is not the most important thing. The most important thing is that I'm offering personal, eternal rescue for all of mankind. And it's your job to start spreading the hope. There's something bigger, there's something better going on here. And his disciples begin to understand. They were still looking, they were still hoping for a political or a national savior. And often, that, that's, that's what we do as human beings, don't we? we? We look to political leaders, we look to government to be the answer, the solution, the savior. That's really going to be the thing. But look how Jesus responds. He says, that's not your worry or concern. Now, we've got, got that under control. Your concern is to keep hope going. The hope is the resurrection. The hope is the Messiah has come. The hope is that God is with us. That's the hope that you need to keep pressing on with. It's not about all this other stuff. It's about the one thing that's the most important thing ever. It's that the eternal rescue has come. Keep sharing that. The hope Jesus offers, it isn't political or national. It's eternal. And it's better than you could ever imagine. Jesus didn't limit their hope. He liberated it. He set it free. He said, look, it's not tied to this. It's It's eternal. And it's something for the whole world. And he told a man named Nicodemus earlier on his plan, and I don't think maybe anyone caught on earlier, but now it made a whole lot more sense as he's leaving them. John chapter 3, verse 16, when he said this to Nicodemus, and it's a very famous verse, one of the most famous verses in the whole New Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He's been saying it all along that the expectation should be that, that, that is liberating you is that hope is eternal. That the rescue is eternal. And it's not just for Israel. It's for all who would believe. Why? Because God so loved the whole world. The hope of Jesus was so much better than they ever could have imagined. And it's better than you and I can imagine too. And so when the angel is telling Mary and Joseph about who Jesus is going to be, he says to them, he says, you're to name him Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. It was there all along. The better than imagined hope. But a lot of times our expectations limit our hope. And Jesus said, I came to liberate your hope. To not just think of it in this one little realm, but think of it for the whole world. Think of it for whoever would believe that they would have eternal life, that they would have eternal rescue. Because the hope of Jesus not only allows us to live free here and now, but it gives us hope for all of eternity. It gives us hope for all of eternity. So as I started uh, thinking about how to wrap all of this up, I, I asked myself a question, how do, how do I have then a better than imagined hope? because of Jesus this Christmas. How do I do that? Well, I think you do it in, in two ways. The first way is this, is that you invite Jesus to be the hope of your Christmas. You invite Jesus to be the hope of your Christmas. Maybe um, you're here this morning and you've been looking for hope in all the wrong things and all the wrong places this Christmas. Maybe you were looking for the feelings of Christmas to give you the peace that Christmas is supposed to bring, but it just hasn't. 
So we want to conclude this series by saying that the only true and lasting peace comes from Jesus himself, from Emmanuel, God with us, and God for us. And so maybe your hope this Christmas needs to begin with inviting Jesus to take control of your life, to take control of your hope. So invite him to be the hope for you this Christmas. And I think the second way that you can have a better than imagined hope because of Jesus is, is by sharing Jesus as the hope of Christmas with other people. Sharing Jesus is the hope at this Christmas season. See, this was the last thing Jesus told his disciples. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to share the hope. And I can't think of, there's two times a year that I think are the easiest times for us as followers of Jesus to share the hope of Jesus, Christmas time and Easter. And we're right here in the middle of this season where people are looking for hope. They're looking for peace. And Jesus is telling us, be my witness. Share hope with people. Share the hope of Jesus. And so let me ask you, who can you share the hope of Jesus with this Christmas season? Who needs this hope now more than ever? And I'm sure there are people that are, are popping into your mind that you're like, yeah, that, I need to share it with them. I need to share it with them. And there's a really easy way to do this. And that way is you can invite someone to our Christmas service this Friday or Saturday. Friday 5 and 7, Saturday 1, 3, and 5. And you can share with them, hey, you should come with me to this thing. You know, we have we've provided five services this year, this year instead of four because we want space for people to come and experience the hope that Jesus has to offer them. And so there's an easy way to share it. If you're on Facebook, you can go to our Facebook page and you can share the video that we sent out. Um, you, you may have gotten an email this week uh, from us. You can share that with your friends. Um, we have invite cards that Adam talked about earlier. They're little business cards. You can share that with them. Just be invitational. Be invitational. Just say, hey, you should come with me to this, this uh, Christmas service that we're having at our church. Now, I mean, Christmas time is the time when people are open to hope. They're open to spiritual things. I can't think of a better way than just to share with them, you should come with me to this service. Share Jesus as the hope of Christmas with others. Well, the band's going to come back out, and they're going to play a song to wrap up today. And, and I think the words of this song are so fitting, not only for today's message, but I think for this whole series. It's a song called... Christ is here. And I want, I want to read some of the lyrics to you. And, and these lyrics are actually what I want to pray over you this morning. Wherever you find yourself expectation-wise, wherever you find yourself hope-wise this morning, I want these lyrics to be the thing that just kind of is over you, that God wants to say to you. It says this, this is the, the words of the song. It says, to our darkened world, a light has come. To our broken hearts, a day of hope has dawned. The mountains bow and valleys lift their song, declaring the arrival of the Holy One. On earth, His love has shown. We are not alone. God is with us. He has come to save us. Mercy lights the darkness. Christ is here. God is with us. He's the healer of the broken. The word of heaven spoken. Christ is here. And I love, absolutely love the bridge of this song because it's just a response that we have to the fact that God is with us and he's for us. The, the bridge goes like this. All rise, all rise in the presence of the king 
in his presence, we are free. I absolutely love that. It's the hope that we have because Christ is here. Christ is here. Hope is here. And it's better than we could ever imagine. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that hope is here. That Christ came to this earth to be God with us, to be God for us. And I know we talk about that a lot during this time of the year. But God, it's a reality that we should never just breeze through. We should never just kind of take for granted. God, that, that this was the beginning of the story of Christ, but the cross, the resurrection, was the fulfillment of it. God, that you had eternal hope in mind by sending Christ here. And so, God, I pray that we would put everything into that eternal hope, that we would look to Jesus as the hope of our Christmas, and that we would share him as the hope of Christmas with everybody we come in contact with. God, thank you for hope being here. In Jesus' name, amen.
Merry Christmas, everyone. Um, I hope to see you guys all Friday and Saturday at our Christmas services. But as you leave here this morning, Christ is here, hope is here, and it's better than imagined. Go and share that hope with the world. Thanks for being here.